Friends, if you have your Bible, please turn with me there to Isaiah chapter 6. We're continuing our new series called A Vision of God, uh, where we're spending just a few weeks looking at what the prophet Isaiah saw. And we're doing this in the prayer in hopes that what Isaiah saw and came to know about God is that which we might see and come to know about God. Uh, it's my opinion that you, can, uh, you can't even begin to imagine what seeing and knowing God as he's revealed himself, really having a sense of who God is can do for your life, the way he can strengthen your faith, the way that it can prepare you for suffering ahead, the way that it can fuel worship and devotion and love for him. So we want a vision of God like Isaiah had. Now, I want to remind you as we turn to God's word, uh, his word is an authoritative word. We say that God's word is authoritative. And what we mean by that is the Bible is the supreme authority in our lives and over our lives because the Bible records for us, reveals to us God and God has the authority over our lives. And so we come to the scriptures and we listen and we hear not as this is the uh, scribblings of a man who lived long ago, but as the very word of God. And so I invite you, if you're able to stand with me, Standing is an act of worship. We read God's word and we receive his authoritative word. Hear it now, Isaiah 6. I'm reading verses 1 to 7, but our focus this morning will be verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give to us listening ears so that we might hear what your Holy Spirit has to speak to us and reveal to us through your word. Help us to receive now the preaching of your word, not as good advice nor good instruction, but as good news. And to receive your word as good news, we need to receive Christ. And so help us to lay aside assumptions of what we think we need this morning so that we might catch a glimpse, a vision of our King of Kings. In Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Harold Kushner uh, wrote a book many years ago entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And you can imagine with a title like that, uh, millions of copies were sold. It was an international bestseller. It resonated with so many people. And what sparked that book was that um, when Harold Kushner had a son, when his son was three years old, doctors told him that son had a degenerative disease and that uh, it would prevent his son from living a long and healthy life past his teenage years. And as this, of course, would uh, really question, uh, strike fear into, bring worry and anxiety into so many of us, um, he began to wrestle with the question, 
why God? And after much of his contemplation and his wrestling, here's what he writes in his book, his conclusion. God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes even he can't bring that about. It is too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. I mean, these are some raw and honest words, but they are entirely mistaken in their truth and betrayal of God. And yet, although we can assess that we may disagree, yet in our hearts, I think most of us resonate with what he's saying. Sometimes we have more of a heart that views God according to Kushner's view than according to Isaiah's view. And when we do that, we're all the poorer for it. You know, most of you don't have to think very far back in life to think of some of the bad things that have happened, some of the things that have stirred great um, anxiety in your hearts. Uh, we've all entered uh, into lonely valley, uh, valleys, haven't we? Um, been scarred by uh, relationships, entered into inexplainable suffering, uh, physically aching from disease, experiencing disappointments and failures. These things happen in our lives, and when they do, they have a way of shaking our foundations, the things that we've planted our feet on. And the question we all ask is, is God really in control? Is God really in control? Now, God isn't silent on this matter. I think all of us would wish God could answer and give a response to each one of our questions. But God chooses not necessarily to give a response through an answer, but he gives this response through a vision. You see, if you have a right vision, an understanding of God, you see him as the ruling and reigning eternal king. This doesn't get rid of the confusion and chaos from your lives, but it gives you comfort in the midst of it. I think some of you desperately need that today. You don't need an answer from God. You need a vision of God. If you see what Isaiah saw, what will be different? I think you'll walk out of this place held together by the comfort that God is on his throne, ruling and reigning, and there's nothing in this world, nothing in your life, nothing too sinful, nothing too complex, nothing too surprising, nothing too messy, nothing too big, nothing so tragic that it would dethrone God and that it would loosen you from his caring grip. I want all of you to walk out if you're comforted that God sits on his throne. Now, where do we see all of that in our passage today? Well, Isaiah's vision begins like this in verse one, in the year that King Uzziah, now, there are so many kings in the Old Testament uh, that we tend to just kind of jumble them together. All the kings are the same, but Isaiah mentions King Uzziah for a reason. So the question is, who is he and what do we need to know about him? King Uzziah was a king who reigned in the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. He reigned in the 8th century BC, and he was a good king. He was good because of two things. First, he spiritually led God's people because he himself feared the Lord and walked with the Lord. That's a sign of a good king. It's a sign of a good father. It's a sign of a good husband. It's a sign of a good pastor. It's a sign of a good leader. He was a good king. Second Chronicles 26 that tells us about Uzziah's life writes this in verses three and five. 
Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So in a time when all of Israel's kings were wicked, they turned away from God, they followed their own plans. Uzziah knew God and walked with God. And for that, he was a good king. But then Uzziah was a good king in all the non-spiritual ways as well. Uzziah was a good king because during his reign, he provided stability and security in the kingdom. He brought peace and prosperity to the land. And you need to know something about the history of Israel to understand what this meant for them. You know, Israel, uh, in the Bible, they seem like such a great nation, but historically, Israel was a small nation. They were always being bullied by the bigger major superpowers around them. And so constantly you read the Bible and Israel is always being invaded. They're always being attacked. They're always under the threat of invasion and looting and plundering and captivity. And so Israel's history, the people were constantly in fear. But the sad thing about Israel is even when they weren't at war with the nations, geographically, if you know where Israel is, they're sandwiched between um, two superpowers, uh, Egypt in the south, and then from the north, sometimes Assyria, sometimes Babylon. They were always basically caught in the middle. And being caught in the middle of other people's wars uh, led to a completely restless, terrified, traumatized nation. You know, the, um, two weeks ago, it was in the evening, uh, Eunice and I were in the living room and, and we heard all this uh, screeching and, and cars going by in our neighborhood. And I assured her, you know, it was okay, but it kept going on for like 10, 15 minutes and cars turning, and, you know, we began to get worried. And so, you know, we went upstairs. I, I was convinced there was going to be a drive-by shooting. Uh, so I run upstairs and, you know, the whole night, every time I heard cars turning and tires screeching, the bit of my body really tensed up. And it was really difficult to go to bed that evening. Well, the next morning we wake up and I get this email from our neighborhood association. It said, uh, there have been numerous times teenage kids have been in the neighborhood with water pellet guns shooting at each other. Last night we found out there are a number of teens coming to the neighborhood for a war with kids in the development. And apparently uh, kids in our neighborhood, kids in other neighborhoods were at war with one another. It didn't involve any of the other residents, but we were all caught up in it. And as a result of being caught up in their war, we had a sleepless, restless night. Imagine that on the national scale for Israel. Always looking to the north, what's going to happen? Always looking to the south, what's going to happen? Under undue stress, always alert, always on edge. Into that, King Uzziah brought stability and security. Second Chronicles 26 goes on to say, Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. Uzziah prepared for all the army, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. See, under King Uzziah, Israel was protected and provided for. The nation was at rest. And Chronicles actually tells us that it wasn't uh, simply that Uzziah defended Israel, but Uzziah actually defeated the other nations. He collected tribute from their enemies. And under him, the nation grew stable 
It prospered economically. People became wealthy. Agriculturally, they grew. They planted more and more crops. They grew in their herds of animals. I mean, if this was like settlers of Catan, King Uzziah had cities and settlements on all the wheat and all the sheep and all the ports. They were doing tremendously well, thriving. Now, why does that matter? Because in the midst of all that, you need to grasp the background to then get the impact of the next word in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died. When the king died, Israel was thrown into national confusion and fear. Would their economy tank? Could they withstand invasions if armies formed against them? What would happen if they were plundered and looted? What would happen if their women and children were taken captive? You see, through the death of this king, Israel's world was flipped upside down. And because King Uzziah died, the question remained, is God still in control? You see, in the year of his death, it was a very distressing time for God's people. Now, what does that mean for you? 2,500 years later, we can all relate to this experience. Maybe you've had something in your life, something in the past week, maybe something even in the past month, maybe just something in recent memory that threw your life into panic and anxiety and fear and grief and mourning. Maybe there's something going on in your life that's making you ask, is God still in control? Because in this life, in this fallen, broken world, so many things can pull the rug up from under our feet, shake our foundations, throw us into doubt and distress. For some of you, the loss of a loved one is on the horizon. And you're going to the hospital regularly. You even have a favorite parking spot. Hospice care is now being talked about. And for others of you, the loss of a loved one is very recent. And so the tears have dried, but the hurt and the pain still remain. Others of you have recently celebrated an anniversary of a loved one who's passed. And it's been years, but the memories are so vivid, it feels just like yesterday. And you're asking, is God still in control? Maybe it's something different. Maybe you're single. And loneliness is eating you up because you're looking and you're looking, but the prospects don't seem to be there. Maybe some of you are healing from wounds in a relationship that have left you feeling damaged. And you think you'll never be good enough for anybody else. And some of you are in a marital relationship where you look at your spouse, you married your best friend, but when you look at them, they, they aren't quite the person you remembered they were. Maybe all you're doing is fighting and arguing. And you think, man, if it wasn't for the kids, you don't even want to finish the thought. And there are some of you in your relationships, you aren't even arguing and fighting. And that's really because you don't even talk to your spouse anymore. 
In that situation, is God really in control? Or what upheaval in life are, are you facing? What kind of, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that this happened, are you facing? Because in a fallen world, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? I mean, all of you have your stories. Financial uncertainty, accruing debt, bills left unpaid, jobs in jeopardy, promotions being blocked, applications sent but none responded to, doors aren't opening. You've made future plans, but they have to be altered. You've created a timeline, but they're being delayed. You have good desires, but they're not being answered. People hurt you. Friendships go sour. Community is hard to find. Children are disobedient and rebellious. Parents are being frustrating and stubborn. Is God really in control? See, all of us have things in our lives that come and they shake our faith. They shake our foundations. And we're afraid that if they shake them enough, it'll break it. Our lives are filled with in the year the king was Zaya died type of moments. And that's just on a personal level. I mean, some of you are asking the question, you know, because your lives are okay, but you're asking the question, is God in control when you see the things happening around us? Things in this church, things among your friends, things in the country, things in our culture, things in the world. Those things can be just as overwhelming and despairing and confusing and paralyzing. This year, um, Cornerstone is a PCA church, a Presbyterian church in America. We don't hide it. Um, I enjoy being in the PCA. And it was a great year for us because in the PCA, we celebrated our 50th year as a denomination, our 50th General Assembly. That's the annual meeting. Now, um, although there was so much to celebrate, um, this was a hard year for the PCA. And some of you remember this past March, the shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville. You know, the Covenant School was a ministry uh, that originally was started by a PCA church called the Covenant Presbyterian uh, Church. And one of the victims, a nine-year-old uh, girl, was um, the daughter of the senior pastor. I mean, every shooting is horrific, but school shootings where young ones are involved are particularly horrific. It just hits you different. And you just like read news like that and you ask, like, is God in control? You know, this is maybe a bit specific, but there was a week in May, one of the toughest, most confusing times in the PCA, where in one single week, three prominent pastors in the denomination who've had significant and tremendous influence on the younger generation of pastors, they were all taken home to be with the Lord. You know, one, one of these weeks, Eunice and I on sabbatical attended a New Life uh, Presbyterian Church in Glenside. It's a sister PCA church right, you know, down the road from here. And um, the scheduled preacher um, wasn't there, and they announced that he had been uh, sick. Please pray for him. You know, his text was 1 Corinthians 15 was the resurrection, uh, but he was in the hospital. Would you pray for him? A few days later, Reverend Stephen Smallman went home to be with the Lord. This was May 14th. Four days later, May 18th, Harry Reeder, who is a very well-known pastor in our denomination, he pastors a very large church in Alabama. He was in a car accident, and he went home to be with the Lord. A few hours later, Michael Keller updated that his father, Tim, was being discharged from the hospital to receive hospice care. The next day, May 19th, 2023, Tim Keller died of pancreatic cancer. And just like in one week, these giants 
of our denomination of the faith went home to be with the Lord. And I went to this general assembly this 50th year where we're celebrating God's faithfulness and looking toward 50 more years. And yet there was this gaping hole collectively. We just knew like the future does not include these godly men. And we felt unsettled and uncertain and unsure. And these are specific examples, but all of you have your own that you can fill in. The point is our lives are more fragile than we'd like to admit the possibilities of things that can shake our foundations are endless. And they cause us to wonder, is anybody really in control? I don't even need to say, if you've lived long enough, you'll have in the year the King Uzziah died moments. Because some of you haven't lived that long, but you've experienced exactly this. The details of what those things are are so unique to each and every one of you. But friends, there is a comfort for us all. How can you keep from unraveling when life seems to be unraveling? How do you keep from crumbling and collapsing when life seems to be crumbling and collapsing? It's to see what Isaiah saw have a vision of God like the one he had. What did he see? Amidst the hopelessness and despair, we read in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. In the middle of the bad news that the earthly king is dead, Isaiah sees the good news that the eternal king lives on. Isaiah saw him in verse 5. He says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You see, when uncertainty filled his heart because the throne was vacant, his eyes were cast upon the heavenly throne that was occupied, upon the one seated there. You see, all of us are going to be filled with the, is God really in control question? But are our eyes able to catch the vision? Verse 1 says, in the year the king of Zion died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high, and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Why high and lifted up? Because God's throne is above the world. He's ruling and reigning with all things in subjection under his feet. In your life, there is chaos and confusion. And plans that need to be changed and timelines that are being thrown out the window, wrenches thrown into your plans. And to us, things seem out of chaos, but all of it sits under the feet of God. And all the things that cause your life to turn upside down and throw you into a dizzying spin, none of that can displace God from on his throne. Now, why is this comforting news? Because the God who sits above the chaos and confusion, who cannot be dethroned, be dethroned, is holding you in his hand. How is the understanding of a sovereign God of personal comfort to you? I mean, because if God is an impersonal God, he wouldn't have any interest in your life. There's no sense in even talking about these things because, you know, well, 
What makes God not just like the Egyptian Pharaoh? Remember him? The Egyptian Pharaoh, he cared nothing about the people of Israel. He only cared for more obedience and more production. What makes God any different? And some of you may be asking that very question. And the only solution, the only way that we can understand that is to see the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel gives us a picture of God, that he's not just an impersonal cosmic king, but he is a gracious and good king. The one who saw from heaven your sin against him, your rebellion against his law. He saw you in your great need and plight. And yet, what did he choose to do? He exchanged his throne for thorns and his crown for a cross. He entered this world. He took the form of a servant. He subjected himself to the very despair and distress and the storms of your life. I mean, he was a man well acquainted with grief who was rejected by those he loved, betrayed by one of his disciples, abandoned by his friends in his closest hour, and in the darkest moment, his own father forsake him as he chose to take on our sins. The gospel gives us a vision, not just of God the king seated on a throne, but God the king coming from off of his throne, the one high and lifted up, familiar with being lowly and humiliated. Now having died in your place, risen from the dead, where is King Jesus now? Seated on the throne, ruling and reigning. Friends, I hope you take great comfort knowing that there's a king in heaven who knows you and loves you who gave his life for you and now holds you in his hands. Because that means when he's holding you in his hands, when the things in your hands are fumbling out, when you're struggling to hold and keep things together, you are held firm by him. Not your grip on him, his grip on you. Here's the simple reality. All of us, all of you will have a, in the year that King Uzziah died, moment. That's not a question. These things will come to your life. The question is, when you do, will you have, and I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne vision. Will you be able to see God as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the good and gracious King coming to you with compassion and comfort? Oh, and like this, fill in the blank. In the year that, what tragedy has marked you? What pain and unknown suffering are you carrying? What wound are you hiding? What frustrations are you facing? In the year that you found out you had cancer, in the year that your child walked away from the faith, in the year that you've struggled with crippling depression, in the year that you've experienced scarring trauma, in the year. But the gospel supplies the vision in the year that my life was falling apart. In the year that was toughest for me, I saw the love of Christ for me. The King of Kings holding me close, 
Because bad things will befall you. Bad times will come upon you. But they can never knock God off of his throne nor loosen you from his grip. Be comforted. You're wearied, embattled, despairing saints of God. Your king is seated on his throne. Let's pray. Oh, great God, we confess that so many times we lose sight of you. When we need to see you most clearly is sometimes, in fact, when we close our eyes to you. When we need you most is when we blame and question you most. Forgive us. Help us instead to see you as Isaiah saw you. That when the distressing hard times of life come, we have a vision of you not only seated on the throne, ruling and reigning, but coming from off of that throne toward us in compassionate love, care, and comfort. And we pray, O oh God, that knowing we are held in your hands, that we would draw much security in knowing that what you hold, none can loosen your grip over us. Bless us now, Lord, as we come to the table to receive what you have to give to us, that in receiving we might be fed, nourished, and built up. We come now to the table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.